Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. It's time for this week's Know Your Foe episode. So we're looking at the Los Angeles Rams coming to Baltimore after the bye week. Really great bye week. I think we'll all agree for the Ravens in terms of all of the things that went well. But here to talk Rams is Jake Ellen Bogan. Jake, how you doing? I'm good. Ken, it's nice, nice to be back. I appreciate you inviting me back. And uh, man, this game is this game is massive. It, it really is. Uh, I think the Ravens, I'll just say it, you know, right off the rip. Uh, I have them winning the Super Bowl. So I have a lot of respect for the Ravens and, you know, just that defense and, you know, their nickel looks. I think they're just an absolutely scary team uh, at this point in the season. All right. Well, great. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how this works out. But we definitely have you on to try and uh, learn what we can about the uh, Rams personnel and schemes. So let's get jump right into it if if we can. Uh, in terms of the off season and what happened, were there any major additions for the Rams? Yeah. So I mean, you know, they go and they, they give up on a bunch of guys, right? They're paying seventy five million dollars to guys that aren't on the roster. But they went out and they got some bargain bin signings that have been huge. Um, one of those that has been absolutely huge is Akella Witherspoon, who is the number one corner on this team. Um, his season right now through the first 13 uh, weeks of the season, I went back and, you know, compiled all the data. Um, it rivals Jalen Ramsey's best season in 2021. I mean, that's the level he's playing at and you can see it on film. Um you know, crazy length and everything. And really the Rams have been, you know, predominantly like a cover three defense playing that soft zone, definitely safety help over the top. Um, but since this team doesn't have a Leonard Floyd up front anymore, they don't have a Von Miller guys that can really rush the passer off the edge. They've had some production, but not a ton. Um, Raheem Morris, the defensive coordinator has tried different, you know, avenues to, you know, create pressure. And one of those things have been sending safety blitzes, sending linebackers, sending extra guys. And, you know, they've been able to do that because now they have so much confidence in Akella Witherspoon to be on an Island that they won't have that safety help over the top because they trust him in that one and one-on-one opportunity. So he's been huge. They made a trade right before the season. They acquired, it's actually another former uh, Pittsburgh Steeler. Um, they acquired Kevin Dotson. Uh, the reason that the Steelers moved on from him, which what I was told is that he no longer fit their blocking scheme. Well, I can yeah. tell you that there are a lot of Steelers fans that would kill to have him right now. He's tied for the number one uh, offensive line grade, uh, according to pro football focus right now. He's been a blessing for the Rams. Didn't play the first three games because he was acclimating to the offense. Uh, they integrate him in week four against the Colts and immediately Kyron Williams took off in the run game. Immediately the running game took off. Sean McVay trusted the running game. And he's been a blessing at right guard. Just, you know, stout. He's even gotten better. He's always been great in the run game. Was a big fan of him coming out of Louisiana Lafayette. Um, But he's even better now in pass pro, which is something you like to see. Um, They also got Demarcus Robinson, who played Mm -hmm. for the Ravens last year, uh, caught a touchdown in the playoffs. And, you know, this is somebody that just caught his first touchdown of the year last week. He's somebody that's had a great, he had a great camp. He's had great practices, but Puka Nakua's emergence kind of buried him. Uh, You know, they had Tutu Atwell. They did have the cup injury, but they had Van Jefferson at the time. So now... Really what has been decided is that DeMarcus Robinson has been rock solid in practice. He's been one of the best receivers in the building and they're starting to give him looks and the guy just finds a way to get open. Uh, He's been very reliable. He caught a huge touchdown last week, like I mentioned. And really those have been the guys. I mean, they got uh, Duke Shelley, who's played well at times, but he's currently on IR. But this is not a team that went out and got a lot of guys in the offseason. So whose spot is Demarcus Robinson taking? Because I see he just started getting snaps in the last two games. Who's who's out that he's he's getting get time? 
they're kind of rotating. Uh, it, for the most part, it seemed like 2-2 Atwell uh, in the second half. And I think a lot of that was more based on the matchup against the Browns. They were taking a lot of the deep uh, throws away. And I think they liked Demarcus Robinson's bigger body in the, the intermediate game and how he matched up. And I think that was more of on the fly game, you know, adjustment. Cause I mean, Atwell, he, he's been really good this year. They just haven't been able to really get him the ball, but all over tape, you can see this guy always open. Uh, he's generated four, I believe four defensive pass interference calls for over a hundred yards this year. He's one of the top That's leaders nice. in that category. <laughs> he had a huge one against the Browns. So he finds his way, you know, to get open downfield. Stafford tends to underthrow him a little bit or overthrow him. Um, but I thought, you know, he's played really well. And Puka Nakua, he's been awesome. But I think that's that's a big thing that kind of adds some intrigue to the offense. Is anytime you're able at this point in the season, can I mean I don't have to tell you, you've watched a lot of football, but any point, like anytime at this point in the season, this late in the season, where you're able to integrate a new player, like I've been watching film on Set, you know, seven last seven games, and this guy's not on film. And now all of a sudden he shows up, and now that's another guy you have to be cognizant of. And I think that's just the the brilliance of of bringing him on, as well as Hunter Long, uh, who was part of the Jalen Ramsey trade. Um, you know, he he's been huge in the blocking game, and he had a couple options where he could have caught touchdowns near the red zone, where he was the first read. They took it away and they threw it to Demarcus Robinson or a Cooper Cup. Um, but yeah, they've been mixing and matching a little bit and I'm glad they have. So Puka, if you, since we're talking about receivers anyway, obviously had a massive rookie year and for a fifth round pick to jump in and play at his level, kind of exactly what the doctor ordered for a team like the Rams. It's, it's kind of buried themselves in bad draft picks or lack of number one draft picks and, and, uh, uh, some cap help. Yeah, it's it's surprising, Ken. I mean, I'm I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I, I knew Puka Nakua was going to do this. I was more on the fence. Like, I've seen Sean McVay have talented receivers in the building, like a Van Jefferson, like a Josh Reynolds. And he kind of gives them like a red shirt season, uses them a little bit early on the season to kind of give them some confidence. But then it's like, you know what? Let's just get, he needs some time. Puka Nakua didn't have that because he had a great preseason right off the bat, had great chemistry with Stetson Bennett in those preseason games. But then in camp, when Cooper Cup gets hurt in August, now he's taking on those first team reps. And so I think that was a big thing there because essentially now, you know, he's taking those first team reps on Cooper Cup's out, you know, Puka Nakua is now getting opportunities with Stafford that he wouldn't otherwise had. And I think that got him prepared because, you know, I mean, it's not to say that, you know, a fifth rounder could totally replicate what he's doing, but I mean, this kind of speaks to a further truth here that maybe, you know, a lot of this is just the lack of familiarity with the starting quarterback. A lot of these fifth round picks don't get a chance in practice and, and you know, in this opportunity to, you know, grow uh, and, and have a Matthew Stafford throwing to him or Lamar Jackson's you know, most likely going to get, you know, Brett Rippin or John Wolford or, you know, and that's the thing. I mean, that's just the reality in the NFL is you have to like work your way up and pay your dues if you're a later pick. Um, sometimes we have these, but I think Nakua's has made the most of his opportunities. The thing that I don't understand, Ken, is I've watched Nakua all year and he hit another level on the speed scale last week. I've never seen him run like that. Going back to BYU, I always kind of looked at him as like a Debo Samuel that he has kind of that, you know, that build up speed can be kind of that gadget guy coming out of BYU. Um, but he's a better natural hands catcher. Was this on a run play or a pass play? Because he had a couple of runs this last week, as I recall, against the... Every against play. The, uh, last okay. week, he just looks so much faster. And I don't have any football explanation as to why. Um, mm-hmm. Even Next Gen Stats had him as the... I think it was the third fastest time of the week. You had DK Metcalf's crazy touchdown on Thursday Night Football. Then the second one is Tyreek Hill. And the third one's Nakua. What was the what was the speed on it? Do you remember? Like it 20 was, point something? It was definitely over 21 miles per hour. I, oh. DK was the only one over 22, um, but it was like 30 tenths of a second behind um, behind and, Tyree Kill. And usually that's a that's a measure of top speed after significant acceleration on a long touchdown. So it happened on the 70? Yeah. 70 touchdown? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, I haven't seen that. I mean, he's had some big plays. He's gotten the, the buildup speed, but he never, he felt kind of like, 
Cooper Cup, you know, his rookie year where it's like, okay, this guy's four six forty. You know, I didn't see that yesterday. I saw a guy that was blazing fast. I saw the guy that looked like Cooper Cup when he came back from the ACL tear uh, in 2019. I mean, it was crazy. Talk about uh, Matthew Stafford a little bit in terms of where he is this year. Yeah, you know, stats lie. I don't have to tell you that. Um, I think the film speaks for itself. I think Stafford's played really well this year. He's had some moments where, you know, Matthew Stafford moments that he had back with Detroit back when he he had during the Super Bowl season. But all in all, I think Stafford's played really well. Um, he is near the top in uh, the big time throws um, and not really high in the turnover worthy plays. He's near the bottom of the, the league in turnover worthy plays. And I just feel like, of course, he has that, you know, that stigma, like, oh, this guy just throws pick sixes, but he's actually played really well. He's had to make some big time throws. Keep in mind, he played the first four games with a rookie wide receiver, Puka Nakua, who just blew up. And he played with Tutu Atwell, who you know, might as well have been a rookie. Very, very limited uh, starting uh, opportunities there. Um, so what he's done, I think, has been magnificent, considering the fact there's been... Lately, they've had their bill of health on the offensive line, but to start the season, it was this guy in, this guy out, Alec Jackson's out, Joe Nopum's in, Joe Nopum's out at right guard. Now it's Tremaine Ankrum. Uh, they started, you know, Zach Thomas comes in at right tackle or left tackle in the Bengals game. You know, they've been without Rob Havenstein in a couple other games. Like it has not been perfect uh, on the offense. It's obviously a lot better than last year uh, where they started like 17 different combinations, but you know, I think that um, Stafford, all things considered, you know, the biggest question when you suffer, you know, the injuries he had first off, first concussion of his career, you don't know how he's going to respond there. Mm -hmm. uh, but then also, I mean, the spine. It's actually court. amazing. Yeah, I, <laughs> I couldn't believe that. Uh, but the spinal cord injury, Ken, I was really concerned. Um, I never was like, he's going to retire, but I was really concerned about the spinal cord because, I mean, you know, it's a contusion and you could say, okay, well, you know, whatever, but it was, it was significant and it was enough to keep him out the rest of the year. Um, they were still alive in the playoff race when they sat him. Um, so, you know, you, you don't know how he's going to respond. And then they come out against Seattle. And I mean, it just looks like, you know, vintage Matthew Stafford. And I think he's really built on that. Not, it doesn't mean he hasn't had a bad game or two, but for the most part this year, I mean, you know, the last three games, he has eight touchdowns, two interceptions. I mean, I think the big reason the last three games means so much, the reason why he's scoring touchdowns more, I, I think also what's kind of used against him are the, the lack of touchdowns. They've been running the ball more in the red zone, Kyron Williams, than they normally do. So that's a lot of opportunities that are going to the running back. First off, the second thing is last three games, I have to be honest here. I think that they've changed up the offense a little bit. And that makes sense. I mean, you had the bye, you come back out of the bye. I want to see you change things up, especially at three and six. But one thing I like that they've done is they've gone with more of the short passing game. And a thing that you notice on film right away is that Stafford in uh, the Rams really early in the season, it was working, but over time, like when you're playing a Ravens pass rush, you're playing a 49ers or an Eagles, it doesn't work as well. A lot of long developing plays got guys 20 yards down the field, no check down, nobody in the flat. And that's a problem. Well, Ravens are, are certainly defensively. Their entire scheme is in taking away the deep ball and they've allowed the, the fewest um, by far um, uh, explosive plays this year uh, and explosive plays in the past game specifically. Uh, but the, but the thing that, that um, uh, I wanted to hear from you is whether or not, the Rams are particularly adaptable towards working underneath because the Ravens also have great horizontal defenders underneath in particular. I mean, Roquan's outstanding, but the best, the best horizontal defender in the entire NFL right now for my money is Kyle Hamilton. And uh, it, it takes away a half of the field. If you run a lot of wide receiver screens, that becomes very difficult. You want to try and free up your tight end by, by, flexing him and trying to get him off the line of scrimmage easier that but that becomes something that he can really uh work on and and he, and he rushes the passer effectively as well gets in on the run game uh blocks don't seem to affect him when they come from wide receivers or smaller players he's too long for them so the, uh, it's i i, I kind of wonder it, how would stafford attack this team with the pass if they're going to stay primarily a passing team 
Um, that's the thing. I don't, I don't think they're going to stay primarily a passing team. Um, I think the Browns gave them looks they weren't expecting. Um, but I think they went into that game full well that they were going to run the ball. Um, and they have since adapted. And I think a lot of it has to do with an offensive coordinator that no one talks about in Mike LaFleur. Uh, he might not be calling plays, but I definitely see, and I covered the jets last year. I definitely see, you know, a, a, a handprint at the very least of Michael Fleur in the last three weeks of this offense. And uh, the last two games, Kyron Williams came back. This is a five and three team with Kyron Williams and a one and three team without him. Uh, I think he's really the engine to this offense and he doesn't have the, the long speed that Todd Gurley had or the explosiveness, but he is essentially their Todd Gurley back in 2017 when the offense really ran through him. And we've seen that he has 10 touchdowns already. I mean, he's the guy that they're really relying on. And so I think in this one, it's, it's funny because I feel like last week was great since they were able to go up against the Browns, which I feel are a very similar team uh, mm-hmm. to the Ravens. You know, they want to take away, you know, the deep stuff. They want you to throw underneath. They got some athletic guys and, you know, talkie talkie, um, you know, and, and guys like that in the linebacker room that can play sideline to sideline that can stop you, um, you know, and I feel like it was kind of similar to what the Ravens were going to do. So the good news is that the Rams, I think kind of prepared for this by playing the Browns. The bad news is the Rams just put that out on tape for the first time, probably all year for the Brown, uh, for the uh, Ravens to study. So, you know, it's, it's damned if you do damned, if you don't, but, I think this is one where we finally saw, okay, how is Kyron Williams? Biggest question with him. He's been outstanding, but how is he going to be as soon as teams start stacking the box? Because Stafford has a lot of respect from a lot of teams. And this was the first game, believe it or not, all year, Ken, that defenses have stacked the box with Kyron Williams at running back. And we saw Kyron Williams in over 20 carries got to 81 yards. And that was good enough to keep the game going, allow them to have their game plan still in the mix. Uh, It's not the hundred yard performance. I'm sure Kyron would have wanted, but it was good enough to keep and extend drives. And the thing about him is that he's five, nine, a buck 96. Um, He's great in pass protection, you know, and this is somebody that, is just stronger than you would ever think you watch him run. And you're like, how is this guy leading the league in yards after contact? It's just, it's crazy to me uh, per, per run. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely crazy. And I think that's been a huge thing for the Rams. So I, I'm noticing the 30 missed tackles force. And, and for those who don't know Kyron Williams, you haven't really seen him play. He's a, he's a smallish back at five, nine and under 200 pounds. So under 200 pounds is kind of unusual for running back these days actually a little bit like a slightly larger version of Keaton Mitchell. Keaton Mm -hmm. Mitchell has been an unbelievable tackle breaker in the same way. So I'm looking at it. 30 of 134 for Kyan Williams is excellent. If it's about in a low, just over, uh, okay, let's let's do it out. So we have the thing 0.22 per run. Um, And, and by comparison, I'll get the one for, for Keaton Mitchell as we go here, but uh, it's a similar runner, definitely a guy who breaks tackles and that is an area where the Ravens have problems, particularly linebacker is with some uh, um, broken tackles on the weak side. Yeah. And it's funny. You mentioned Keaton Mitchell. Um, this is somebody that I swore would make plays on Sundays. The moment he stepped in the league, I don't know how he went undrafted. I had a second round grade on him. Um, and the reason is because, you know, everyone talks about the the light and, you know, small stature and light, but the guy didn't fumble. So it's like, you're telling me he's going to get popped in the NFL and he's going to fumble. He didn't fumble. He had great ball security. He was a lightning rod. I mean, the fact that you could have a guy like that, he's essentially a laser beam on the field. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it's a matter of pass blocking. So when, when people come to the NFL, they want a guy who has this kind of speed. Certainly they don't want just a gadget guy. They want a guy who can actually go after the back, go come out of the backfield and catch passes. And he's ended up being that, by the way, he's been, yeah. been a good receiver as well. But the problem was that they didn't really think he could hold up to being on the field on third down. And if you need to get a contribution as a pass blocker, the Ravens are a team who desperately need that. Yeah. And they still found a way to, to have him lead now in, in, um, in snaps. The last, last week was the first, uh, last time, the last game that wasn't last week, that was the uh, first time he led the running backs in snaps. 
Yeah, he's he's uh he's crazy. I mean, if he figures it out uh in pass pro and he starts getting comfortable, I mean, the sky's the limit with him. I mean, you know, we've seen it. We've seen guys Austin Eckler was kind of this unknown guy that the Chargers got. Uh, a lot of people weren't talking about and then he ended up becoming a star. I remember Philip Lindsay, everyone forgot about him. Now he fell off, but Philip Lindsay's rookie year he was a 1000-yard rusher, you know, and and he's a guy that you just you find late or you find UDFA and you know, and there are a lot of it, the problem is this is a position where, especially this draft, Ken, um, I could have gone. The, you could have had a show for two hours about this. To, you know, mm-hmm. the, the running backs in this draft were so deep, it, probably the deepest I've seen in years. And I think it's actually it, it contributed to a lot of the holding out by the, you know, the higher or the wanted to be higher paid running backs. Um, a lot of the uncertainty, because I think teams were looking at like Israel Abanacanda, for instance, right. and like, are we so sure like having him on a rookie deal isn't a better option than paying this guy $16 million? I mean, and that's really what it has come down to. And, you know, it's funny. We talked about Puka in the fifth. Kyron Williams is from the fifth round. So, you know, you can find you can find value, especially at this position all over the draft. And we're seeing it. You know what? I think one of the phenomenons that happening. I agree with, by the way, what you're saying is that is that people want to basically protect themselves from having to pay a second contract to a running back. One of the way that's ways that's manifesting himself is with a higher retention rate on UDFA backs or guys in the late rounds. And it used to be you'd slip some of those guys into the practice squad and just hope for the best. Um, the Ravens even lost a couple guys like that, including Raheem Mostert and uh, Mizell, a guy I played for some for the Bears. But uh, you you you. Now, I think the tendency, and it was with Mitchell, I don't think there was ever a question from the very first time. It's priority UDFA. They got him. And then there was never really a question that he'd be cut because he'd, he'd, have, he'd have been snagged right away by some other team. Yeah. And their other options are like Melvin Gordon, who's still on their practice squad. So it's, it's, uh, there's not a lot to choose from there. It's not a difficult choice to make, I should say. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and you know, it's, it's exciting to see a guy like Keen Mitchell and it kind of get it, it breathes life in the NFL knowing like, Hey, you know what? Maybe, maybe there is a reason why I'm running back. I mean, they don't get paid well, but you know, look like it, I could make a team as a UDFA and they're giving these guys carries and it's, it's a position you're getting hit just about every play. I mean, there's a chance you're going to get hurt. There's a chance next man up, you're going to get an opportunity. I mean, we've seen that. He's made the most of it. And I'm I'm happy for him because Keaton is one of those guys, like, watch him in East Carolina. I was like, this guy's special. I, I don't know what his role in the NFL will be. I just kind of called him a football player because I was like, I don't know. Are they going to use him as a receiver? Like, I don't know how, you know, the NFL is going to view him. But I just know the guy is, he's got elite breakaway speed. Um, and I think he's actually, you know, the main concern of my first concern for any Rams fans, Lamar Jackson, no one forgot about the 2019 season. I know, I know Sean McVay didn't forget five touchdowns from Lamar Jackson at the Coliseum. Um, I was recording a podcast in the third quarter laughing because it was a laugher. Like the Ravens absolutely decimated the Rams. Um, but then the last time the Rams played, you know, the Ravens in Baltimore, it was against Tyler Huntley. And, you know, you haven't played Lamar since 2019. And who's to say that's not a huge advantage for Lamar Jackson? You know, they haven't seen him since 2019. You can watch the tape, but it's different with a guy like that out there. One thing I'll say, Ken, that I feel really good about with the Rams is that earlier in the year when Stetson Bennett went on the non-football injury and illness list, they only had Brett Rippon on the team. I had so many issues with it. I thought they should have signed a Wentz, a Flacco, somebody, but they did not. So the reason why I feel like this was such a big deal is because he was running the scout team. And I noticed earlier in the season, this defense, very uncharacteristic under the Sean McVay era, this defense was struggling against mobile quarterbacks. Before this year, Lamar Jackson was really the only time I've ever seen a mobile quarterback crush the Rams. And I'm watching Anthony Richardson's having his way, Jalen Hurts, you know, great athleticism and everything. I'm not taking that away, but I've seen them stifle Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, what's happening. And I was thinking about it recently. They got Carson Wentz at the bye. I think Carson Wentz is a big reason because now he's running the scout team. He's got the mobility to simulate at least a mobile quarterback. Rippon did not. And I'm starting to see the defense seems more prepared. 
And you saw it against Kyler. They stifled Kyler. You saw it against Gino. They continue to stifle G, uh, Gino. And obviously Joe Flacco's not really that mobile. <laughs> I was just going to say. But, but my thing is, I think going into this game, I'm not saying that, you know, Carson Wentz is simulates Lamar Jackson. Cause honestly, no one simulates Lamar Jackson. His stop and start ability is insane. Um, but I think it gives them a better shot than it would if they were playing earlier in the year, not to mention just the other factors having Kyron Williams, all of that. But I do feel a little bit better about that, knowing that I feel like they're more prepared against a mobile quarterback than they were earlier in the season. All right. Take us through the offensive line now. Who's uh, who's going to be active and likely playing in this game for the Rams from left to right? Yeah. So from left to right, uh, you're likely going to see Alec Jackson. I'm barring anything that happens throughout the week. Uh, Alec Jackson seems good to go at left tackle. Um, he went up against Miles Garrett last week. He did pretty well, but it was a very quick passing uh, game plan, running the football, trying to slow down the pass rush and a lot of chips. You know, you had uh, whether it was Hunter Long or Tyler Higby or Kyron Williams going out there and, and hitting Miles Garrett. Um, he wasn't on, uh, you know, it wasn't alone on an Island there. So he's at left tackle left he's guard. Had, uh, I'll just ask a question maybe about each of these linemen as we go potentially, yeah. but uh, Alaric has been penalized a lot less than most tackles, which is, is very valuable. In fact, PFF underweights the value, uh, sorry, the cost of penalties, which means a player like Alaric Jackson, they're probably underrating him somewhat. Has he been the pass blocker you'd hoped he'd be at this point? Otherwise, other than the penalties? Alaric's a friend of mine. I've talked to him quite a few times. I will say this. Um, I think he's a solid player that the Rams can eventually move and go out and get their replacement for Andrew Whitworth. I don't think he's the Whitworth replacement. I think he's a solid player. Um, it, 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 you know, this stuff starts to kind of rear its ugly head when you go up against a team like the Ravens or the 49ers or whatnot, having just a solid left tackle like that can be a problem. But we saw last week what a quick game plan, if you can make plays, of course, uh, what it can do for you and how it made Alaric Jackson have a better game. Um, the the penalty, you know, the discipline there, I don't want to undersell. I think that to your point, that's a huge thing. Um, but this is not somebody getting out in space like an Andrew Whitworth in the screen game as a convoy getting up there 20, 30 yards down the field. He doesn't do anything extra. He's just a very solid UDFA that turned into a starter. Uh, they paid him more than any UDFA they've paid uh, out of Iowa. And he's got some tools and, you know, whether a move to guard makes sense or not, you know, moving forward down the road, I don't know. Um, I definitely want him on the roster, but I do think that like, that is probably, that's one of their weaker positions. Um, and I think it's one of those things where if you go up against like kind of a middle tier pass rush, you're not going to really notice it when you go up against the big boys, like the Ravens, the 49ers teams that are leading the league in pressures, things like that. You'll start to notice it. All right. So then, um, you know, we move on to, to left guard here. Uh, that's going to be Steve Avila, the rookie out of TCU. Um, you know, I think Steve is a, an interesting one here because you know, it's surprising to see, you know, the Rams take uh, a guard, uh, you know, with their first pick in the draft in the second round. Um, Avila has a lot of fans inside the organization. They were ecstatic to have him. Um, this is somebody that I think he only gave up one sack in like a thousand snaps at TCU, a natural center that moved to guard for the benefit of the team. Um, I would still like to see him at center down the road, but I like him at left guard, really good in the run game. I, I think he's quality in, in the, in the passing game and, you know, in pass pro um, he's somebody that's just going to continue to get better and better each week. Um, but again, going up against a better defense, you start to see, okay, the rookie's really good, but he's going to have his moments that, you know, a couple of those plays could be huge. Okay. So is he, he the mobility you want at left guard, good puller footwork, good in terms of the, the guys in the middle pulls out well. Yes. And, and he's, he's very strong too. Very strong. So he's got a little bit of a mean streak too, which I like. Uh, then center, you have Coleman Shelton, who is really an average to below average center can have some moments, but really he's, I think the weakest link of the offense uh, on the offensive line. Um, he wasn't the starter in the Super Bowl season. That was Brian Allen. Brian Allen has since lost the job to Coleman Shelton. Um, Shelton is really more of a run guy pass pro. He's okay. 
Uh, this is definitely going to, you know, he's going to need some help. I mean, he's not a guy that you just, you feel, you know, really, really confident in um, to just kind of anchor in the middle there. Scott, can you kind of describe what is going wrong on pass blocking? Because obviously he's, he's got a very low grade from PFF, but is he a guy who uh, has a lot of trouble picking up blitzes, a lot of trouble with stunts? Is he okay even anchoring against a single big nose tackle to, when they manufacture that one-on-one matchup for him? Yeah. So the problem with him is that he's just not a good matchup. Uh, when you have a big nose tackle, he's a, around 300 pounds. I think he's actually like not even 300 pounds. It's, it's close. Um, he's on the lighter side. And so he's a little bit more of like a technician doesn't really have that, that mauler ability. And, and I think that does hurt him, but also when you're, you know, you have that technician, you know, build instead of more of like a, like a big mauler, big, stronger offensive lineman, you you have to be able to move and be nimble footed. And I still feel like there, he's just a tick off. Like, in a, you know, the problem is if you're a tick off in the NFL, that's going to be a problem. So, you know, um, that's been his issue. Right guard. I, I talked to you about Kevin Dotson has been the man. He has been unbelievable for the Rams. He is everything they could have asked for. I, I just, I'm so impressed every week. He just brings it. He really does. He's got this tenacity uh, in the run game, but he's gotten better each week in pass prote- uh, in pass protection, which is something, you know, apparently Steeler fans really had an issue with. Um, I just think he's gotten better all around. And I think a lot of it is Ryan Wendell, the, the offensive line coach, but something that doesn't get reported enough and you might not know about Mike Munchak is in the room and he's great. He's one of the best offensive line coaches that we've seen sure. in a few years. Um, you know, he's a consultant. I don't know if he's actively, you know, getting paid by the Rams or whatever. I don't know like what's going on there, but uh, he's been around the team and Sean McVay never fails to mention him in his post game pressers and things when he's talking about the offensive line and how important it is to have him in the room. So he's been huge. Okay. So one of the things I look at is go across and, and the penalties for the Rams on the offensive line, across the offensive line, just absolutely ridiculously low. So two at left tackle, two at left guard, one at right guard and, you know, 574 snaps, it looks like, um, and five at center with a guy who's having some trouble getting beat. Still a, a uh, an outstanding total. I think it's the right tackle here. Yeah. So that's uh, Rob Havenstein and he, Man, Rob Havenstein is just a model of consistency. One of the top 10 best right tackles in football. Um, the poor guy he didn't miss a game last year and he had to play with just every single offensive lineman the Rams could find. I mean, whoever was on speed dial, they brought back a guy in Ty Inseki who was on their practice squad in 2012. I mean, that's that's basically where they were at at that point. So Havenstein's has been a model of consistency and we saw how important it is to have him in the lineup. He was not there in the Dallas game. That was a disaster. He was not there in the Packers game. That was a disaster. I'll be, I'll be it. Most of it was on the quarterback, but uh, you know, Havenstein, there's a reason why he got a second contract. I mean, they, they really are third contract at this point. They really like him. Um, he's been kind of a leader, you know, on that offensive line. So to have him and Dotson, your two best guys, it's why they're the best team uh, in the league when running right. And uh, you know, in the run game. Um, and, and I think it, it definitely speaks volumes to just how important that right side of the offensive line is. So, so they have a right-handed run game. The tight end usually is on the right side, and they run a power game or a lot of a lot of counters or whatever it might be that they have to open the front gate with Dotson. So they've been mixing up a little bit more recently. Um, you know, they ran a bunch of sweeps, which we never really see toss sweeps to the left, toss sweeps to the right. I mean, it was a really diversified, uh, you know, running attack against the uh, Baltimore, uh, the the Cleveland Browns. Um, and, and I wonder if we see that this week, they switched to a gap scheme. They, they've always been predominantly zone. They mm-hmm. switched to gap scheme this year and it was right. I think they decided to do this right at the end of last year when, when, uh, Cam Akers started to have a random resurgence in the last four games of the season. Um, but ironically, since Cam Akers has asked for a trade, he is gone and Kyron has kind of taken over and they really like Kyron. He could play no matter, you know, what scheme you're going to run. Um, he likes those outside zone runs. He likes the sweeps. He likes, you know, the duo, you know, things like that. Um, so, I mean, they, they've really been mixing it up over the last few weeks and it's been really impressive because before it just felt like it was a really 
predictable. They'd run a sweep to the right every now and then, but for the most part, everything was up the middle or or running right guard, and and that was really it. So we see more diversity as of late. Okay, we haven't really talked about the tight end position. Now you want to take a moment to talk about that, and then we'll go to the defense. Yeah, I'm a little concerned about Tyler Higby. Um, he's had an uh, issue this year, staying healthy. He's been playing through it. That's Tyler Higby fashion. Guy gets hurt and he just plays through it. He's a football player, but um, he was writhing in pain, holding his hand at, you know, in, in the middle of that game against the Browns did not return. I don't believe. And they said he was also being evaluated for a concussion. I don't really have anything on that right now. We haven't really gotten enough news on that. Um, So whether he plays or not is up in the air, but Higby just hasn't been as featured in this offense as years past. Um, It's kind of weird because he did just get paid and they feel really good about him, but it's just been tough. You know, he has not been able to really stay healthy while staying on the field. And Bryson Hopkins, who was the number two tight end coming into the season has now had back to back healthy scratches. Um, I think it kind of goes to show you that Hunter long, the coaching staff believes has surpassed him. Um, So that's something. After last year, were you a fan of the contract? Uh, Higby has uh, been eight years in the league now. So after seven years, you're paying a 30-year-old tight end. Uh, are you a fan of that contract, given the, where the Rams are as an organization? It's tough. Uh, Higby statistically is the greatest tight end in Rams history. Um, so I Jack think that... Snow? Well, Jack Snow was a receiver. So it would be... The the tight ends really, it'd be, it'd be between him, Billy Truix, and uh, Pete Holohan all time. Um, so that's really, I, I do think that held more weight. <laughs> if if you want my honest opinion, Ken, I think Higby is just so well regarded. And the, the thing that I got to give him props is that he survived. And what I mean by that is he was drafted in 2016 by the Jeff Fisher Rams. And he survived that, that tenure you know, a lot of those guys w- were brought over with McVay in 2017. They were gone by 2018. That was McVay's team. He wanted his guys. Higby's been one of his guys. And, you know, I think that's that's something that he's gotten, you know, a lot better in, in the blocking game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of beating around the bush here. I, I would say this. I like that Higby got paid. I like that he remained a Ram. And the money is a bargain considering going into the season where he was and everything. It's a good deal. As time goes on, it's going to even look better. But right now, (laughs) it it looks a little worrisome because this guy can't stay healthy and he's dropped some key and critical plays. Um, The the Colts game, which that was that was crazy. I mean, you guys, you saw the Colts. They're, they're a weird team. Uh, they don't go away. The Rams were up. I think it was 21, nothing. And they came back roaring back. They almost uh, won the game. They sent it to overtime. Higby dropped a huge, you know, pass that would have probably ended the game. Um, Higby dropped another pe- huge pass against the Eagles, I believe, and a few others. And it's just been kind of a very unlike Higby type of season. So I would say going into this year, he was worth the price. But Ken, as of right now, I mean, I don't think anybody would have expected him to play this poorly. Okay. All right. So talking about specialized looks on offense, is there anything they show that's maybe a little bit different? Do they ever, they don't ever really use a fullback, right? Use it tight into the backfield. Yeah. They don't use a fullback. Um, They really haven't mixed up. Like last year they had Brandon Powell a little bit, you know, taking like direct handoffs. Uh, That was a little interesting, but like they haven't really mixed things up in that way. I think actually one thing they did start doing, and I think it was because of Stafford's hip because he injured it in the Colts game is they started running more pistol. Um, And the reason for that is because Stafford doesn't like, um, he he likes being in the shotgun. He doesn't like being under center. The offensive line wasn't great at that point. I mean, they've gotten better since. And so I think it just gave Stafford more time, uh, you know, in the pocket. And then in addition to that, it still creates the illusion that, Hey, I could also run the ball here, you know, whereas in the shotgun, they do run it out of the shotgun, but you're more likely to see a, at least in my opinion, just watching football. I feel like when they're in the pistol, you just have that inkling. Okay. They can run it here. But when they're in that shotgun where you have a, a you know running back next to you, 
I don't really get the feeling they're going to run it very often, unless it's like third and long, you know, third and 20. Then you're like, okay, they're, they're going to run it here for field position and punt the ball. But that's kind of, you know, my take on that. All right. Very good. So uh, let's move over to the defense. Uh, talk to talk a little bit maybe about the uh, what they show in terms of a passing look. You mentioned they're mostly a cover three team, but what do they what do they like to have on in terms of personnel on the field? Do they go to a dime package? They stick with a committed nickel. What do they do? Yeah, they, they've gone. I mean, they've gone base. They've gone committed nickel. You know, I, I think for the most part, they're a nickel defense. Um, you know, they have that star position, of course, which is played by uh, Jacoby Durant. Um, and, you know, they have a Kello Witherspoon and right now Darion Kendrick on the outside uh, playing corner. They've been playing a lot of match zone as well, uh, probably more than I can remember. But, you know, as I brought up earlier in the show, Akello's kind of doing his own thing. Like they're, they're having him just kind of stay on an Island and they're using that opportunity to send Quinn Lake's been out the last two weeks. Great young, you know, safety in the sixth round out of UCLA. But, um, you know, they've been using him when he's healthy. They've been using Jordan Fuller, John Johnson, Russ East and sending them and in blitzing them and sending Ernest Jones and so forth. So, um, you know, I think really what you're going to get is obviously there are some rotations here. But I think pretty much the majority of the game, you're going to see the Rams like to use all three of their safeties. They like to use Russ East. They like to use John Johnson, who's put himself back in the rotation. Um, took him a little bit. He had an interception against his former team, the Browns, last week. So that was huge. Uh, that pretty much changed the game. Um, and then, of course, Jordan Fuller, who two weeks ago played the best game of his career for pass breakups. He was just outstanding. So Who's got the green dot now? Does Fuller have that or does one of the linebackers have it? Uh, Ernest Jones has it. Ernest Jones. Okay. Yeah. So Ernest Jones hasn't quite played the whole season. He's obviously missed a couple games here. If this is, well, let's say it's 11 out of 12 games. Yeah. Ernest Jones missed the Packers game, I believe. Um, so when he missed the Packers game, Jordan Fuller had the green dot. Okay. Yeah. All so right, that, that's pretty much how they do it. Um, but I mean, yeah, you're going to see, you're going to see different looks. Of course um, you're going to see, you know, Troy reader in there, you're going to see Christian Roseboom in there at a, uh, at linebacker. Um, they do get in when they have more of a base package, but you know, typically speaking, they like mixing it up. And, you know, I think the thing that's so fascinating about the Rams is that defensive line, which, it, you know, a lot of people don't know the names of these guys, you know, the casual fan doesn't know anything about the defensive line, except, Oh, there's Aaron Donald, number, 90, <laughs> number 99. But, um, Kobe Turner has been outstanding. Uh, just outstanding. I mean, the, the last three weeks, it just seems like he gets two sacks a game now. I, I don't know if that's true, but it feels that way. Um, then you have, you know, Bobby Brown, who's back. They lost him at the very end of the Eagles game in garbage time. Very sad. Uh, but he came back and he's been huge uh, for the rotation. They got Jonah Williams, who's great in the run game. Um, you know, they got guys like Deswan Johnson, Mr. Irrelevant. So, you know, they've really had some some key contributions from these guys. And it's it's been a fun defensive line to watch. I mean, you still would like to see if you're a Rams fan, you still like to see better pressure off the edge. I think that's the issue. I think lately, you know, the hope is that Byron Young is going to be able to do something against the Ronnie Stanley because he got pretty stifled by Jerron Christian last week. I mean, I got to give Jerron Christian a lot of credit. I think he's really found his stride. He's playing really well. I was watching the tape with him before the Rams uh, played the Browns. And I was really impressed with the way he's been playing. Um, so, you know, their third round pick Byron Young, he's shown a lot of, uh, you know, confidence and, you know, he's shown a lot of ability, but I think the problem with him is he doesn't have an arsenal of moves. And we knew that coming in, this guy's elite athlete. Um, but he's kind of just, he's going to try to win with a speed to power move, um, you know, he's going to try to, to, you know, get by his guy with speed, but he, he's not, he's not throwing you, you know, different spin moves and a ghost move and, you know, a rip or anything like that. You're just not getting that from him. Um, and then on the other side, you have 400, you know, six, four, 310 pound outside linebacker, <laughs> um, you know, uh, Michael, uh, Hoyt, um, and he's, he's tough because he has his moments and he played really well last year. It's why he's even playing right now. Um, they really like the way he finished the season, but Hoyt and, and we saw this, uh, this past week, 
Hoyt, when he gets out there in coverage, it's like he's an elite athlete at his size, but he looks like a fish out of water. And we saw it against the Eagles, uh, Dallas Goddard. They got him one-on-one with Hoyt and Hoyt just, he did his best. I mean, the guy, you, you see the 310, six foot four guy running straight down the field, but he's not covering Dallas Goddard. Okay. So here's the question. How do you construct a defense where a guy who's six four three ten drops 167 times into coverage? I mean, the Ravens outside <laughs> linebackers are really known the Ravens scheme wise are really known for dropping their outside linebackers, particularly when they had Tyus Bowser and Matthew Judon and they were good yeah. cover guys. But this is unbelievable to me. That means it's got to be one of the highest numbers for an on ball on for a line of scrimmage player in the entire NFL. And, and you're right. It doesn't look like he's been very good. No, it's, it's bizarre. I, I feel for him because it doesn't indicate like you would think this guy can't play. You think he ran like a, he ran like a four set. Like he's Aaron Donald fast. But it's like Aaron Donald covering a guy deep down the field. I mean, if you were to put Aaron Donald on your tight end and you have, you know, tight end, you know, runs a go. I mean, Aaron Donald's going to have bad stats. Now people are going to be like, oh, wow, Aaron Donald really sucks in coverage now, doesn't he? It's like, does he or is he just being put in these incredibly low, uh, you know, win opportunities? I mean, the percentage of win there when you have a guy like Dallas Goddard, I mean, and we saw that last week. I forget what receiver got it. I don't think it was in Joku. I think it was a, a receiver. It might've been Elijah Moore. It was a huge like third down Flacco gets out and you have Michael Hoyt out there and it's like, he's in no man's land. I mean, Elijah Moore say what you will, but I mean, he's way too athletic to, to be covered by 310 pound, uh, you know, quote unquote outside linebacker. So, you know, they, they also have some other guys there, but make no mistake about it. I mean, that was the one position going into the, you know, the trade deadline. If this team had the money to do it and they had the draft capital where they felt comfortable doing it, um, chase young or Montez, what would be a Ram right now? And, and it would be a perfect fit. Um, but I mean, it was so they were so uncertain as to what they were going to do. I, I had confidence in them. I picked them to go 10, seven before the season, but you could see it like the, you know, the, the fans were starting to get, you know, less interested in the team. It was starting to kind of look like, okay, maybe they won't be that great. And the problem is trade deadline comes at what week eight, week nine. They just didn't look good enough to make a, a, make a, a, a call then. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, here's my question about the Rams. I I'm, I'm dead set as a season ticket holder. I am dead set against the Rams model for my team. You mm-hmm. want to you want to play the roller coaster parody ride like the like the Rams have. The Rams obviously are the model for it in terms of winning a Super Bowl, and they I I, I wish it hadn't happened because as soon as it did, it created this <laughs> blather on on Twitter over how the Ravens ought to get every star quality. You know, everyone has any little bit of name recognition at a skill position. Basically, oh yeah, our fan base wants, and I, you know, I'm very much a play the cards you got. You know, make the best use of the players you got and pick up bargains wherever you can, especially when your quarterback's on the second contract and you, you just you don't have the the, the kind of cap leeway. Being a good GM is about making the tough decisions on where you're not going to spend money. It's not spending $18 million on Odell Beckham. It's not, you know, doing the other, spending a lot of money on Patrick Queen, for instance, would be just a disgrace, I think, if it happened at this point At this point, as a second inside linebacker getting paid. It's about making the tough decisions of, we're not going to pay running backs in our system. We're not going to, we're not going to pay a lot of money to anybody but our top tight end. We're going to pay one wide receiver. Maybe we're going to pay two, but we're, we're certainly not going to, going to have a, a host of offensive skill position players that are all among our highest paid players yeah Uh, i just i i'm i'm so bothered by it and i've really frankly really bothered by the fact that the rams in the middle of that seven year drought of no number one picks that's that's still ongoing right 24 they don't have a pick they will have a pick this year they will really yes i i gotta say um I think the Rams are the trailblazers of the NFL right now. And I don't mean the Portland trailblazers. I think they're blazing the trail. (laughs) Now watch, Ken. Remember I said this, we had the F them picks mentality. And now everyone see the Niners doing it. You see the Niners doing it. No one's going to say that. It's okay. If the Niners do it, the Rams do it. They're buying a championship, but the Rams did the whole, that whole strategy. And now the Rams are literally doing it a different way. The exact opposite. They are 
saying we have X amount of dollars to pay off this credit card debt. We could do this, you know, each year, or we can just do it all right now. And they decided to do it all right now. They're paying $75 million to players that will not be on the roster in 2023. And they're not. I'll, I'll just say that that strategy is, is one Crazy. that's been adopted many times by the, uh, by the Oakland Raiders, primarily by other organizations that have not been successful doing it. The Rams are unique. Yes. More or less unique in that they've, they've been willing to do it. I guess the saints would be another team who, who did a lot of the credit card forcing money ahead. And they just happen oh, yeah. to be lucky enough to play in the NFC South where they still can contend <laughs> even when they're, they're terrible. <laughs> it's happened before, but not on the level of like the Rams because to go from like, it was like a, a you know, windshield wiper, you know, super bowl, no super bowl. Mm-hmm. Like you're because like last year, they were kind of caught in the middle. You know, they wanted to, they, and I still believe Ken, if they didn't have all those injuries, they could have competed for a Super Bowl. They really could have. I mean, they were in every game except for one, uh, one possession game going into the fourth quarter, all those games. And they had 17 different offensive line combinations. Stafford only played 11 games. Aaron Donald only played 11. I mean, they definitely could have if they stayed healthy. The problem is that, opened up a bigger question for the Rams. They had to have that internal discussion. They had to really think and say, is this worth it? Should we really do this? And that they actually had to make a tough decision at the deadline. I mean, they really wanted Christian McCaffrey. They wanted Christian McCaffrey. He was the guy. They were like, all right, we got Todd Gurley again. And they ended up balking at it. See, a lot of people think the 49ers just outbid them. No. If the Rams really decided they were going to get Christian McCaffrey, come on, Ken, we already know the proof <laughs> is in the pudding with this team. They're willing to offer what three first rounders for Brian Burns. I mean, they would have done it. They would have gotten Christian McCaffrey. I just think they were caught in the middle of a season where again, that trade deadline sneaks up on you and the Rams just didn't have enough to justify at a you know losing record. And you weren't going to be that team because this is a reckless way to build a team. You're losing, you know, you're four and five or whatever at the deadline. You don't go out and you, you get a move to make yourself a 500 team because that is a, that's ridiculous to assume one player is going to do that for you. You know what you do. And this is the thing is that the Rams always use the deadline correctly. You know, the 2021 season, they didn't actually pay a lot of guys. What they did is they just, they traded for, for Von Miller. You know, they signed OBJ. OBJ fell into their lap. I mean, it wasn't like they went out and, you know, signed him in the off season, but Von Miller, um, you know, they, they traded for him. And this was a team that was, you know, they were undefeated. I believe at the time this is, or this was right before their, their losing streak in November. Um, go back to 2018 when they go to the Super Bowl. they're undefeated. Um, you know, they just beat the Packers. I was at that game. Then that week, uh, right after, I think it was two days after they get, uh, Dante Fowler. And it just was huge for them because they needed that extra edge defender. I don't mind doing that. I mind doing it. If you're doing it as kind of like, I mean, to me, it's like chasing your losses. If you've lost your bets, just realize you've lost it. Don't (laughs) the season's over. Don't go and get a rental, give up draft capital for next year for it. So I guess here's, here's the question that I kind of want to crystallize this down to is Mm -hmm. does does your season ticket holder base accept the Rams philosophy and embrace it wholeheartedly? Or are they avidly vocal about you know vehement about not really wanting this and and wanting to sit on draft picks and finally have something to look forward to in in april and may it's a split decision no matter what way you slice it um i do think a lot of it was biased because i mean i'm just gonna say it you have a lot of people in los angeles that love that caleb williams kid out of usc watch him you know they're usc fans they love the idea of bringing him to hollywood a lot of them didn't give this team a shot they didn't give this team a shot. They said, we're tanking, we're tanking, we're tanking. I kept saying they're not. I kept saying they're trying to win while remodeling. They're not rebuilding. They're not fully rebuilding. They're doing the retooling. Um, you know, they're not tanking. But a lot of the the Rams fans that are also USC fans wanted him. They wanted a young quarterback. Now CJ Stroud starts off the season really hot. And Rams fans continue to want a young quarterback. See, we could have that. That's Drake May. That's Caleb Williams. That's this guy. That's the. It's not. We don't know it if it is to, to just assume it's going to happen is ridiculous. So, you know, my thing is 
Les Snead has proven that he's legitimately top 10 GM in the league. I mean, he just, he is, he's won at every level. He's whether he's either traded for guys, whether he's, you know, drafted guys, which by the way, I found out this year more than ever, uh, Les Snead has more to do with the draft than people realize. Like he, he wanted Kobe Turner. Sean McVay does not do as much draft work as some of the other head coaches in the league. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, Les Snead just put together a masterful draft. I mean, the 14 picks without a first round pick and you got Puka Nakua, you got Steve Avila, Kobe Turner, Byron Young, even their punter is going to be a stud in Ethan Evans. And there's some other guys there that, you know, we haven't seen yet that could do something. And so, you know, I just think that he's doing a great job and ultimately I've just come to trust him because I watched him with Jeff Fisher and I saw what he was capable of. And I saw the, the willingness and having the backbone to go out and get the guys that you wanted to go out and get. Um, but at the same time, you know, I felt like he really needed that head coach to kind of keep it leveled off. And now that he has McVeigh, I think those two work really well. It doesn't mean that he hasn't made mistakes. The Rams have made mistakes. Um, you know, I mean, let's, let's be honest here. Les need paid Tavon Austin. He paid Tavon Austin his second contract. We still had no idea what his role was. Sean McVay didn't really use him. You know, he's paid guys like that before. You know, he paid William Hayes, ended up training him away. He paid Robert, you know, Quinn. He, he paid, you know, Robert Woods a second contract. A year later, he's getting traded for peanuts. And all these guys are getting traded. So my biggest issue with Snead is that he'll do that. But overall, I think Snead's one of the best GMs in football. And I think he's a big reason why the Rams won a Super Bowl and they've had a chance to win two. And it's not to take anything away from Sean McVay. But if you gave Sean McVay Billy Devaney back in the St. Louis era, Sean McVay is not coming close to a Super Bowl because you have to have both. You can't just win a Super Bowl with a great head coach. You have to have a great GM as well. Just like you can't win a Super Bowl with a great GM because if the head coach doesn't make good decisions at the of end of games, they don't win. So I think it's it's a fascinating thing, but but Ken, I'll tell you, I just I think it's really split. I think this fan base, a lot of them, just look at this like, oh, I don't want to get into the first round and win a game and get knocked out. I'd rather just get a top ten pick. And I say, look, you haven't had a first round pick since Jared Goff in 2016. Who cares where the pick is? You have a first round pick again. You don't even have to pick in the first round. You can trade down and get more picks. I'm not against that. But the idea that you're going to basically shoo away a playoff shot. You're going to shoo away the opportunity to play more football games with, I got to tell you, a lot of these guys are going to be on the team next year, right? Most of these guys, you know, some of them will be gone. A lot of them are part of their core that they're going to be building around. And the idea that you don't want those guys to get playoff experience, this valuable playoff experience. And instead you'd want a, a top 10 pick of a college kid. That's never played in the NFL. It's mind-boggling to me, Ken. I just, I'd never feel that way. I mean, the Rams are so far from being in on the top quarterback sweepstakes at this point. That's not even an issue as far as I'd be concerned. I just, I I guess, I want to know if the people who are basically saying trade everybody are the guys who are watching the games from their couch Hmm. and the people who are basically saying, leave our draft capital alone. In fact, don't even screw with our cap. In, in any kind of odd ways that's going to de-levelize our, our performance are really the people who are paying for season tickets. Cause I think that's generally the split uh, is, is if, if you're, if you, if you have the ability to turn off the TV set, you don't care as much. I could never do that, <laughs> but, but yeah, I get what you're saying. I think, yeah, I, I think it's really, it, it's 50, 50 with a caveat. Um, Fans, I mean, there's tribalism when it comes to fandom. And I feel like without trying to offend any Rams fans, I mean, I feel like it's very, you know, okay, hey, we won three straight. So now I no longer care about the draft. But if they lose to the Ravens, who again, I've said, I believe are going to win the Super Bowl. And this is the toughest test of the season. If they lose this game, it doesn't matter if they lose it by one. The the next day, the views go down. You know, the engagement goes down. People are talking about the draft. And I just feel like that's kind of fandom in general. I mean, it shouldn't be, but I think a lot of fans are just very wishy-washy. And and I think you kind of have that element in that 50-50 split where now it kind of fluctuates. So that 50-50 could lean towards just playoffs, right? Like just, I I like what Sneed's doing. I, I believe in Sneed. 
I'm giving him the right to, to go out, sign Robbie gold, spend $8 million on a kicker because we need it. And then on the other hand, it could be like, no, like I don't want them to spend a dime on another player. I would, I would release some of these guys. I'd trade them in the off season, get rid of Cooper cup. Like I've seen both sides. And uh, for me, I only, I, I've, as in I've, I've viewed them. I only see one way here. The Rams, basically what they told us they were going to do. They want to win as many games as possible in 2023 with the eye on 2024, 2025 and 2026 being the start of the next era of Rams football. And they believe that by 2025, they should be back in the Super Bowl. And I believe that is the case. I think they could be back in next year. Everything they do from here on out is setting the tone for the future. And if they were to go 10 and seven, like I initially predicted, that sets them up for a Super Bowl bid next year when they have $60 million in cap space and they can go out and they can get a Josh Allen in free agency, or they can go out and get Josh Uche in free agency and help sure up that pass rush. They can go out and, you know, trade up with the draft capital, trade up into the first round further and get their left tackle of the future. Those things are what I'm most focused on when talking about the future. Um, because I, to me, when a team has shown you they're three and six coming out of the bye, they lost their quarterback. So really they're three and five at that point without Stafford. Um, and then they come out and they win three straight, you know, two of which are playoff teams. You could argue Seattle's played well this year. You know, the Browns, the Cardinals are not an easy team. They're like the toughest three and 10 team. You'll see uh, you, you guys know, cause the Ravens on that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but you know, the, the two out of the three though, those teams, I mean, those were tough, tough teams and to see the way this team has responded and the fact that they're the third youngest team in the NFL and Matthew Stafford appears to be getting more comfortable as the season goes on. And, and you know, they have Cooper cup to fall back on if they need to. And Aaron Donald looks like Aaron Donald. It's just like when you have the other guys that make the team, what it is Akello and, you know, Kevin Dotson and Kyron and Puka, it's, it's a thing of beauty to watch. And really the Rams are setting themselves up with 60 plus million cap space next year, guys that they found that could be franchise cornerstone pieces in this draft and they have a potential to win, you know, more than, you know, go above 500 this season in a season that a lot of people had them picking in the top five. Well, I, that's certainly true. Nobody expected this from the Rams. Let's, let's finish up with the, uh, the defensive backfield a little bit. Tell me who they have back there. And then yeah. I have some specific Ravens questions. Awesome. Yeah. So, you know, defensive backfield, you're going to see, you know, as I mentioned, Akello and, and Dar- uh, Darian Kendrick, you're going to see Kobe Durant um, in the star role. Um, you know, and then you're going to see, you know, John Johnson, Jordan Fuller and Russ East for the most part, I think, um, they're, they're definitely not as good of a secondary as the Ravens. I, I think Akello's playing as good as any corner in the league. But I think like when you look at, you know, the Ravens, just like Geno stone to have that in your back pocket, he's been such a terror in the secondary. The Rams don't have that. The Rams don't have a guy where you're like, I can't even throw that near him without him picking it off. Um, like Akello, the thing about Akello is that he plays in that trail technique and he's got crazy long arms. He's six, three runs a four, four, and he does a great job, you know, but the problem is like, because his role is so important to just get it done. He hasn't been able to play with that aggressive, like chancy play that he wants to, um, so because of that, he's been more of a lockdown guy. That's put Darion Kendrick in the role of like, you need to get turnovers. Safeties need to get turnovers because Akello's shutting it down. But if if this team needs some interceptions, Akello is capable of it, but he knows right now playing without safety help, he's the last line of defense. Mm-hmm. All right. Very good. Uh, I, I guess one of the things I always ask before we go into this is, is, uh, Pick two, one player on each side of the ball who you think matches up particularly well against the Ravens. One player on each side of the ball and matches up well. I will. All right. Um, well, I'll say I think Witherspoon matches up well against any receiver on the Ravens um, because he's battle tested. He's gone up against DK Metcalf, Jamar Chase, etc. And, you know, he's only had nine games this year, which he's allowed. Um, oh, he's had nine out of 12 games. He's allowed fewer than 40 yards. 
I think that helps with OBJ down the field. I think that helps with Nelson Aguilar, who's been kind of their deep threat. Uh, Rashad Bateman, Zay Flowers is phenomenal. But I, I worry more about getting Zay Flowers in space in the short game, having to break some tackles. And then, you know, there's only a few guys left in the in, in the back. So I think really if you you know match him up with Akello, um, I think he, he matches up well with anybody. You know, and I think that's that's a big thing there, a uh, big you know matchup. And then I think on the offensive side, um, I mean this this one's tough because you know in reality, I just think the Ravens just match up really well with the Rams. I mean, if I'm just being honest, um, but I I would say Kyron Williams against you know the run defense. I mean, I think Kyron Williams is going to face a very similar fate as what he faced against the Browns. Is that? The Ravens can stop the run. The Ravens can come up and they can, you know, they can, they can make negative plays. They can force negative plays. So the Rams are going to have to be one step ahead with their play calling, but also Kyron is going to have to continue to break tackles the way he does and finish after contact. And, um, you know, I think he's, I mean, he's really the deciding factor. If Kyron has a solid game, they have a chance to win. If he has a less than solid game, kind of a down game, they don't win. And if he has kind of a, a game above solid, he has a really good game. I think they do win. And I think that's what it comes down to. But I mean, I've said before, I, I have the Ravens winning this game. So I think Kyron's going to have kind of the same as last week, maybe around 80 yards, but not anything, something to keep the game going and you're in your game flow and you're able to call the game how you want to. But he, I don't see him, you know, against this defense going off. And I think that's, that's something that, you know, you would, you would want to see, um, and that would definitely help your case, but I don't, I don't see it. All right. Well, Jake, always a pleasure to talk football with you. Where can folks uh, read your stuff or talk football with you online? Yeah, I really appreciate it, Ken. Uh, they can follow me at JK Bogan on social media, all of social media. Um, you can Google me, Jake Allen Bogan. I'm on YouTube at uh, Jake Allen Bogan channel. And I also cover the Rams on Turf Show Times. I'm on two other podcasts as well, Believe in Rams and um, Downtown Rams. And I have an NFL show, um, which might be most used to uh, Ravens fans here, called Off the Edge, um, where you can actually find us on Bleacher Report. Um, we do Bleacher Report live streams. And, um, you know, we also have a channel uh, Off the Edge on YouTube. But, a lot of stuff I'm working on, Ken. A lot more than the last time we talked. <laughs> All right. Well, very cool, Jake. Always a pleasure. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. The bye week's always a good time, but I'll make time any time of the year. And I, if some of this content may not make it on until after the season, but we'd love to have you on. Talk about something you're passionate about with regard to the Baltimore Ravens and uh, put together a nice 15 to 30 minutes of content so people will have a shorter episode to look at and, and a less intimidating than the typical hour-long content I produce. Uh, really appreciate that. Jake, appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.